The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Welcome once again, everybody. Uh, so glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here too. I, uh, if you are new with us, my name is Alan, if you've been coming over the past few weeks, because I, I take a teaching break through the month of July, and uh, you guys have been treated incredibly well uh, with the people who have been uh, teaching on the weekends. Uh, it's been awesome, and I'm thankful that I get to have that break. Um, uh, I don't take all, the whole month off, but I take a teaching break on that, and I'm excited to jump into the fall this year. Thankful that I got the break, and excited to be back with you here today. Um, we, in the beginning of the year, our concept was a uh, something new, was this whole idea, knowing that this year as a church, we're going to experience so many something news. And, uh, and the idea is that throughout the, the whole story in Scripture, God is inviting us and challenging us to experience new things. And so we knew as a church, we're going to experience a ton of new things. That series officially ended it before we got into summer. But the concept of something new is absolutely rolling into our fall. That uh, our uh, kids are starting new uh, school years with new teachers and some are doing middle school uh, for the first time, which is new, and some are doing high school, and some are going off to college, and uh, it's all exciting new stuff. Our student ministry here at Mountain Park is, uh, ha- is working on a new plan that uh, I know uh, you're aware of, but that our middle school is going to be meeting at 9 a.m., and then our high school is going to be meeting at 10.30, and so we're excited about what that will offer uh, for us in terms of targeting those different age groups. Exciting new stuff. Next week, we're going to walk through through something uh, uh, new with you. Uh, uh, Excited about that. I don't want you to miss that. Today, I want to talk about what the plan is for the uh, move from here to the the new building. So if you would please, since we don't have anything on the screen, uh, this is our screen. If you would pull out your hymnal. And on the front page, at the bottom of the front page on the hymnal, is the plan uh, for the next couple months. We are starting today a six-week series called Raw, and I'll explain what we mean by that in just a little bit, but uh, today through September 10th, September 10 will be our last um, gathering here in this uh, room, here in this church. And uh, we're looking into some plans for September 17th. It's kind of a transitional weekend for us to get set up over there. And we'll do something together. It just won't be the kind of a regular Sunday morning. We'll let you know more details about that. Then on September 24th, that will be our first gathering in the new church. And uh, we're very excited about that. And that is what is, uh, we're calling a soft opening. So what we mean is that we're only advertising September 24th here in this room. We're only inviting us. This is a kind of a family gathering. Uh, Do not invite your friends to September 24th. That's just, that is an insider kind of family. It's a way, it's a soft opening for us to kind of figure everything out. You guys will be very gracious when children's ministry is learning how to do their stuff and figure out how the new system works and all that. So we're gonna do that on on September 24th. We're gonna worship our brains out and just be thankful for all that God has done to get us into that place. Then our grand opening will be October 1st. October 1st is the day that we are... um, 
stamping on the outside of the building that we are letting the media know. Uh, that's October 1st is our grand opening. That's the place to invite your friends, okay? Invite anybody. You have friends who are interested. I know you do. And so just say October 1st, October 1st, October 1st. It's actually September 24th. But you tell everybody it's October 1st. Uh, hopefully that uh, all makes sense to us as we move forward. Uh, it's gonna be a great season for us. Excited to walk that out with you. Uh, what, I, what we've decided to do with our last series here in this building is kind of take advantage of the changing reality around us with everything being stripped away and pulled down that, uh, that, that that's why we want to talk about this concept of raw, that, that when all is stripped away, we, we have said this from the very beginning that it's not about a building, it's not about this building, it's not about a new building, it's not about your, your comfy seats or the big screens or the fancy lights or anything like that, that it's never been about that stuff. And so what we want to do is at its core, when this thing gets boiled down, what is it all about? What is life all about at the, at the raw basic level? What is, what is our church all about? Um, uh, what is life in general all about? When you look at your own life, as you kind of strip away all the complicated distractions of life, when you strip that all away, at the very core, what is left? What, what is, when the whole thing gets boiled down to one thing, what is that one thing? That's what we're gonna focus on and celebrate and remind ourselves of over these six weeks as, and launching into this next season for us as a church. As we head uh, towards that here this morning, would you bow your heads with me again? Father, I'm so thankful uh, for the opportunity to gather here in this uh, space and to be reminded of, of the simplicity of, uh, of uh, who you are and why we gather. God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak individually to us to stir up in us what you want so that we can be prepared for this next season of life. We can be prepared for the rest of 2017 in our homes, in our workplaces, and as a church, God. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk about a, uh, a book in the New Testament called Second Corinthians. And it's written by a guy named Paul. He wrote um, uh, much of our New Testament he wrote uh, letters to a number of churches, and he, in repeated ways, he has a very clear answer to this question. What is it all about? What is life all about? What is the church all about? He has a, he has a very clear answer to that question that we're going to remind ourselves of and take a look at here today. Second uh, Corinthians is technically, just for a correction, it's technically not a letter. It's actually a compilation of letters that it wasn't just one letter written. There's, there's clear evidence in there that in the book of 2 Corinthians, there's, there are starts and finishes and then starts and finishes within the book. So it's a compilation of letters. And in uh, what we're looking at this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And chapter 11 is part of a few chapters that is referred to as the letter of tears. There, that's kind of identified in 2 Corinthians and it's called the letter of tears because Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, pleading with them through tears that they would understand what it's all about. That they would, they would understand what the church is all about, what life is all about. So let's go with, with, turn with me if you will to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul begins this 
uh, chapter, he says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. I really appreciate Paul's words here. Um, I appreciate and relate on some level uh, because I've been here uh, uh, 11 and a half years and over that time there have been a number of times where I've had to apologize for something that has happened as a part of our church, mostly uh, from the other people on staff. But, but, um, <laughs> but uh, we take God very seriously around here but we don't take ourselves very seriously. So, so we will do anything short of sin to help people understand how much God loves them. And so at times there's some foolishness that, that, that may occur. So uh, I love hearing Paul's words here as he starts off this chapter. Jump to verse two, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, I recognize the awkwardness of of that phrase, the awkwardness of the the picture that Paul's painting there, and and, and, and it's a little bit, um, you know, we're not familiar with with a phrase or a section like that. Uh, There are plenty of seats over in uh, this area here if anybody's uh, looking for seats. and so I understand that that's a little bit, little bit awkward, but Paul wants to be very clear here, and it's consistent with a number of other uh, uh, letters that he wrote, clear in his answer to what is life all about, what is this all about, what is the church all about? It is all about Jesus. It's all about our connection with Jesus. I know that you knew that's what the answer was gonna be, but this is a reminder for us here today as we just strip away all this stuff, that the, that the plan, the overall plan of humanity from the very beginning of Gen, uh, the book of Genesis through the end of the book of Revelation, the entire story of humanity, all it is, it is all about Jesus. It's about us understanding why Jesus came, understanding that Jesus came, and then responding to the story of Jesus. The whole story is all about Jesus. When the whole things get stripped away, when the pieces get removed and things get changed and the curtain gets removed from the back, we see that from the very beginning when this church was built, there's a cross in the back saying, that is what this is all about. When everything is stripped away, when everything is melted down, what's left is Jesus. That the plan from the very beginning, the essential core of this whole plan is that you and I would be connected with Jesus who is the one who makes us right before God. That that, that, is, the, that is the overall plan, that is the answer to the question, what is this, what is this stuff all about? And Paul here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here in verse three, uh, he is, uh, uh, pardon me, verse two, he is saying, he's using this metaphor of marriage to help us understand that this connection between us and Jesus, this is the core of the whole thing. And he uses this powerful metaphor of marriage, which is why we set up all these white chairs here uh, today to, to remind us of the, so it's, it's the big grand wedding, that, that, that the marriage covenant, we need to understand this, the marriage covenant, the most profound of all human relationships is for the purpose of us understanding our relationship with Jesus. That even this relationship that we have uh, with our spouse, that even that is for the purpose of us understanding what this relationship is supposed to be. And I know that's a little awkward, particularly for you men here in the room, that we are to be married to Jesus as our husband. I know, I know, there's a little bit of a, a speed bump there. 
but it's just, just stay with me on the, the power of the metaphor of marriage. That what we are basically supposed to say with the, the overall plan, it's, between, it's, it's a connection between us and Jesus, that it's a covenant that we are to enter into with Jesus. Where we say, I follow you forsaking all others and I will be faithful to you till the end of my days. There is no one else. There is no next. I am faithful to you for the rest of my days. Every decision, every dollar, every hour, every opportunity, it involves you. Essentially, it is all about you. It's, it's, it's all of that stuff is so intertwined and the marriage covenant is to help us get a glimpse of and understand what that's, what that's all about. And we understand that. Some of us have said, happy wife, happy life. I mean, boom, we get that one. That this, when we get this thing right, we are so deeply connected. And this is, this is why divorce is, is, this is one of the reasons divorce is so painful because that covenant is not supposed to be broken. That in life, there are many things that are, that are supposed to come and go. Our looks, uh, our, our resources, our money, our career, our kids, they come and they go and we send them off. But that relationship there, that is the one that is supposed to remain until death do us part. And so that's, 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 why, that's partially why it's so painful. That is not supposed to be broken. And so this metaphor that God has given us with, the, with marriage, it's not a perfect metaphor. Uh, and, it's, and it has pain and difficulty involved with it. But it is a metaphor to help us understand the, 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 the centrality, the importance of this relationship. That we are to be married to one husband, Christ. And that's what it's all about. But many of us struggle with that. Even the most spiritual of us struggle with prioritizing Jesus in every decision and every part of our journey. It is, it, we, we, we slip from it and we become married to other things. What else have you become married to, committed to? What else has become a non-negotiable in your life? I remember a number of years ago, I was meeting with a young uh, groom and bride in preparation for the wedding that I was going to officiate with them. And in one of our meetings early on, I'll never forget, he just, he just said, I got, I got four things that I need in this marriage. I need four weekends for the major golf tournaments. There are four golf tournaments, and I don't know how long they are, Friday to Sunday, I don't know what, maybe they're a week, a long or whatever. He just said, every year, I need those four weekends, and he said, they are untouchable. He said, doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter what the needs are, I just need everyone to understand those are untouchable. And I looked at her, and I said, warning. I, I said, this is, this is not a good premarital conversation. I mean, this is not a good start here. And what other ways do we say, do we bring in other things and make them essential and non-negotiable when the whole thing is supposed to be all about Jesus being our, our, the one that we are in covenant with and everything else becomes secondary? 
But we have a hard time with that. Paul continues. He says, says in uh, verse 3, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's saying that, yes, it's supposed to be all, all about this. It, it, this is what it's all about is our relationship with Jesus. But what happens is life, you know, Eve is presented with different things from the serpent, and we are presented with so many shiny objects in life. So this is what it's supposed to be all about. Oh, but this looks good. Oh, this is interesting. Wow, I'm really interested in this squirrel. You know, I mean, we're just, we just get so interested and distracted in, in other things. The title of this message, I know we can't have it up on the screen, but the title for this message is Uncomplicated. That this series is called Raw, Uncooked, Unpolished, Uninhibited, and each week is going to be an unsomething. Today is Uncomplicated. Because we have a tendency to make this whole plan that God has set up to make it more complicated than what it's supposed to be. Paul even says here in this verse, he says, he says, we get distracted instead of the sincere and pure devotion that we are to have to Jesus. Other translations refer to it as a simple devotion. Just the simplicity of, of prioritizing that relationship. And yet we make this thing so much more complicated. We make it complicated theologically. We always have. From the very beginning, deep in the Old Testament, God started this whole thing up with the, with the Torah, the first few books, the first five books of the, of the uh, Old Testament are called the Pentateuch. And in there we find the laws that God gave the people to help them live life. There were 613 laws summed up by what we're very familiar with, the Ten Commandments. And so that's a lot, 613 is a lot. But what the Jewish leaders did in the centuries that followed, they would add more and more details and laws, literally to where they would get subcategories of subcategories, thousands upon thousands of details and laws that were gathered in writings like the Midrash, which is this Jewish text that says, here's how those 613 laws get broken down into all these details that need to be taken care of theologically. For example, God says, keep the Sabbath holy. We are to have one day where we take a break, don't work all the time, you need a rest. God modeled that in the creation story. And so what the Jewish leaders have done with that in the centuries is they've broken that down to say, here's exactly what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day. To the point where one, one detail says, here's the exact number of steps you can take on the Sabbath day. If you take any more, you're working. But as long as you stand underneath that, you're not. I mean, this was before the Apple wristwatch and before all the Nike, you know, step counters and all that. They, the Jewish people have been counting steps for a long time. It's just kind of making this thing more complicated. That was back in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was, it was happening as well. We, we've always been making things theologically more complicated. The book of Galatians, it's another letter written by Paul. And the whole concept of the book of Galatians is, is to is to address the fact that the people in Galatia had been making the gospel more complicated than what it needed to be. And Paul was pleading with them as well, saying, just, 
It's all about Jesus. You need to remember that it's all about Jesus. In chapter one, verse seven, he begins that letter. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's kind of a premise for the, for the whole book of Galatians that he's saying, you guys are making this more complicated than what it needs to be. That's in the New Testament. Then when we look in the church history story, that's essentially what the Reformation in the 16th century was all about. That Martin Luther, he, he uh, nailed the 95 theses to the door uh, and, and, and saying, oh, we need to start a conversation because we're making this whole thing more complicated than what it needs to be. This needs to be all about Jesus. He says, it's scripture alone. It's faith alone. It's Christ alone. We've made this thing way more complicated than what it needs to be. And even today, many struggle with the simplicity of the gospel. That many, perhaps here in this room or people that you know, they hear what this connection is supposed to be that, that you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to fix any vice in your life. You just need to accept Jesus as Lord and allow that to be a restored relationship with God. Then what happens is you invite the power of the Holy Spirit into your life and he will start to make those transformation uh, uh, happen in you. You don't need to do that. You don't need to figure this stuff all out. Don't make it more complicated than what it needs to be. The Holy Spirit will do his work. You don't need to do anything. Just align yourself with Jesus and that we make this more complicated than what it has to be. And some can't handle the simplicity of that. Some from other religions who have a history with other faith systems or who just logically think it through, just, just say, it can't be that simple. It can't. If that is the story of the creation of humanity, the story of why we're here, and it's that simple, it must be wrong. Some really struggle with the uncomplicated beauty of the gospel. We tend to make this theologically complicated. We also tend to make it morally complicated. Sometimes we take, we, we, we make faith all about moral issues. And right now, so much of the conversation and the, the, the rhetoric in, in, um, in social media, et cetera, is so much about major social issues like homosexuality and gender identity and, uh, and for many years, you know, abortion and how that all looks. And those are, those, are, those are very important issues, absolutely important issues. And we as a church, uh, as a church, we have a conservative position on, uh, on most of those theological issues, and we will talk about them at, from time to time. We will talk about them directly and specifically because they are important and they are relevant, no doubt about that. But we make the mistake sometimes of making those be the, the foundation of our faith, and they're not. We make it more complicated when we put anything else over and above Jesus. And so we can be here in this room, we can gather, we can worship, we can be on different places in some of these moral issues and we can talk about them and we can be grace-filled and we can have conversation and we can disagree with some of these things. That's fine. We can do that. We can figure this out together. 
As long as we boil this thing down and say, you know, it really is all about Jesus. And we are all spending the rest of our lives trying to figure that out and massage this and melt this down to try to figure out, okay, what does that mean then practically with this part of my life? What does it mean with this part of my life? But don't let those moral issues become the foundation of our faith. Another way that we can morally make this stuff more complicated than what it needs to be is that we stand too close to the edge morally. We, we just get too close to that edge. We're so close as we're walking that edge morally knowing this is wrong and this is right. We spend so much time walking on this that, that all we're thinking about is the edge and we're not even thinking about anymore, okay, where, where, where's Jesus land in all this stuff? It's just the moral issues can, can take, they can eclipse the rest of what's going on. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, any of us here in this room, we could walk on a four-inch beam that was laying on the floor. If it's a four-by-four four beam laid on the floor, any of us, we, you know, most of us here enough to have enough balance. I saw one person over there who kind of wobbled. He might not be able to do it. But most of us could walk on a four-inch beam that's laying on the floor. No problem. Why is it such a different thing if you take that four-inch beam and you put it 100 feet up in the air? Well, what's, it's the same beam. It's the same person walking on that same beam. Why is it so different? Well, it's one word, splat. It's, it's just really, that, that's, that's the only, that's the way to summarize that. That's a great English word, splat. I mean, that one word, you don't even need to define it. You just hear it and you know what it is. It's just awesome. Just painting a picture for you. And so, but the difference is when that four inch beam is on the floor, you can think about other things. You're not worried about falling off on either side. You're not gonna fall off. You're, you can just think, you can think, okay, what am I gonna eat for lunch today? You can think about, um, uh, about bigger issues than that four inch beam. But when that four inch beam is up high, is 100 feet up in the air, you can't think about anything else. All you're thinking about is the beam and you're thinking about how far it is over there and how far it is over there and you're thinking about onomatopoeia. Splat. You're, you, you can't think, when we are walking so close to the edge, we don't have the ability to think about, okay, is this good for my heart? Is this good for my family? Is this good for my future? When we're, when we're dancing so close to the edge, we don't have the opportunity to think about that. All we're thinking about is, am I gonna get caught? And so we don't think about the bigger picture. We are distracted morally by things that are getting in the way of, okay, what, what, what really does Jesus want in this situation? Because that's the primary part of this. We get distracted theologically. We get distracted with shiny objects morally. And then the third one, the final one, is, is kind of the sneakiest one of all, that we just get distracted practically. And what I mean by this is it's not moral issues. It's not issues of what's right and what's wrong. It can even be good stuff. It's not wrong stuff. It can be good stuff that, that we're a part of, that we're excited about, that we enjoy, that distract us from the primacy of our relationship with Jesus. Let me, give, let me just invite you in on something. Have you ever had an experience and you paused in the middle or at the end of that experience and you thought, ah, this is what life is all about. 
You ever had, maybe you had one of those here this summer, you had a great vacation and, and, and you just kind of have that thought, this is what life is all about. You're laying on a beach somewhere in Margaritaville <laughs> and the right music is going on behind you and the right people are around you and you just say, this is what it's all about. Or maybe you go for a run early in the morning and not in the summer in Phoenix, but you know, maybe later on in the year or in another location, you go for a run early in the morning or a long bike ride. And at the end, it's just the sun is coming up and you just say, this is what life is all about. Or you go to ski slopes, ski slopes in, in Colorado and you look across the beautiful snow-capped Rocky Mountains and you say, this is what life is all about. Or you're having a beer with a friend while you're working on an old Volkswagen engine. <laughs> Just for example. Or you're watching the Edmonton Oilers play in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in 10 years. And you're just thinking, this, I'm just trying to think of examples that could relate to all of you, you know, with all of this here. But whatever, you know, put yourself in that moment where you're thinking, ah, this is what life is all about. And those moments where you would say that or think that or feel that, in those moments, do they have anything to do with Jesus? Because I think it's possible for us to want to escape from life and just have those moments, but we say, this is what life is all about. But if that moment has nothing to do with Jesus, it's just a shiny object. It's just another shiny object. So in what way can we say in all of those moments, how can this be a part of my relationship, my covenant with Jesus? So I'm on the beach and, and who is it around me and in what way are we at a beach that's right next to a lot of poverty and so maybe on the way back we can do something about some people who are in need as a part of that experience and then well this is now, Jesus is a part of this incredible experience. Or you're, uh, you're uh, on the ski slopes and you're having all that time with your, with your friends or with your kids and you're all that time on the, on the lifts going up or you're having conversations about, about how Jesus is working in your life and stirring up and asking questions that are, that are life-giving. Is, is it about Jesus? Are those moments, can we bring Jesus into that, let Jesus be the very center of those things so that when we say, ah, this is what it's all about, it really is about Jesus. Can we do that? Can we, can we bring that in? Because we can be so distracted even, by, even by, by great opportunities that God puts before us. So Paul continues in the last verse I wanna look at today. Verse four, he says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted. In other words, he's saying in three different ways, there's, there is one Jesus, there's one Holy Spirit, there is one gospel. There is, this is the plan of humanity that God had set up from the very beginning. If someone comes to you with anything outside of that, at the very end of that verse, you put up with it easily enough. He says the problem is we put up with it. We put up with these distractions that these, these complications, uh, theologically, morally, practically, they're not forced upon us. 
They're not forced into us. We put up with them. That yes, uh, things in the world are vying for our attention. There are a lot of things that want your attention and want your resources and want your time and lots of shiny objects that are trying to get your attention. But we're the ones who end up putting up with it. We're the ones who get to decide what am I going to put up with? What am I not going to put up with? What am I going to prioritize? What am I not going to prioritize? Let me ask you a question. And uh, I don't want to raise of hands or anything. I just want you to answer the question in your head. Do you want to grow spiritually? My guess is that most here in this room are going to say yes. Most. Maybe not all, but most. Second question. Are you satisfied with where you currently are spiritually? My guess is that fewer would say yes to the second question. In 2015, the Barna Research Group went after those two questions among people who would call themselves, you know, churchgoers, people who go to church. 90% of people would say, I want to grow spiritually. 90%. And of those who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not satisfied, or am I satisfied with where I am spiritually, only 38% said yes. So they looked into that and they said, what? Well, why is there such a difference there? People want to grow spiritually, but, but something's not happening there. Why that difference? And they summed it all up through their research with one answer that rose to the top. Why is there a discrepancy between those two numbers? The busyness of life. The busyness of life. We so often don't have time to do this because we're doing so many of these. We are so busy, so saturated, so overfilled. Here we are entering into a new school year. How many of you are already overbooked and, and, and we're just getting started? I mean, it's just the first week. Overbooked in our schedules, overly planned with our kids and activities, that what they're doing. And the whole thing is just more is not better with all of that. More, more is not better. You look in your fridge, it's got so much stuff in it, you can't even find anything to enjoy what's in there. Get rid of some of that junk so you can kind of know what's in there and have space. We talk about margin, that we need margin and, and room to grow and space in order to grow spiritually. We need room. A plant needs room to grow. When we read a book, we need those margins on the edge just for us to have breathing room, for us to make a note, for us to, 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 to get through a page and, and not feel like we're just being blasted with words. We need margin. It's the busyness of life, so many shiny objects that distract us from what life's all about. Which brings us back around to the, the, the title of the series that we're going after for these six weeks. Raw. That this journey for us as a church over the next two months is not about our beautiful new building on 48th Street. And it is a beautiful new building. It's not about that beautiful building. And it's not even about all the new people that are gonna come that you are gonna invite and who are already interested in the community and are gonna come be a part of that. It's not even all about that. Our soft, opening on September 24th and our grand opening on October 1st, they are meaningless unless they are all about Jesus. The whole thing is meaningless unless, it, unless we are bringing people to and helping people understand who Jesus is. The whole thing doesn't matter unless Jesus is at the very core, the very center of it. 
All that matters is the simple, uncomplicated gospel that you and I are born broken. We are selfish. We are messed up naturally. And the way to redeem that, to change that, to heal that comes from Jesus who came to earth to make us whole. That is the beautifully simple and raw gospel. Everything else, every padded chair, every fancy light, every piece of theology and moral issue, all of that, they're just details. They're just details. May we remember as we make this transition what it is all about. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, it, 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 is, ex, it is exciting to um, be part of what you're doing here at Mountain Park um, this season, this year. God, I'm thankful for the, so, for the many ways that you are showing up. And God, I'm thankful for these six weeks, for this, for this pause to take a breath to remember and focus on if everything was stripped away, if everything was melted away, that that all all that matters is Jesus. Jesus in our own lives. Jesus is the one we're communicating, talking about. Father, forgive us for any complication that we are bringing to the table. God, help us in these six weeks to celebrate and joy and prioritize you in our lives. Amen.